Here we are. It is match day. What number in the English match Premier day. League? Match day two in A MLS. Lot. It's match day one for the Chicago Fire tonight. A game that the weather looks like it's actually going to be decent. It's approaching 50. One that Maria and I planned to go to until I was reminded that I have a daughter who's having a birthday party today. <laughs> so, <laughs> and she doesn't uh, want to move for her yes. birthday to Soldier Field. Oh, boy. That's just so revealing, isn't it? So we were going to miss the... Um, well, you and Jeremy could still go, but I think you're looking at the forecast and it's still a little chilly for you guys. So we'll yeah, be watching. Maybe we just wait a couple weeks and wait for it, it will, the temperatures well, will rise five degrees. New York City um, tonight. We'll be following that. And um, there's a lot of games going on this morning. Um, I only was able to watch the Newcastle game. They lost. They seem like they're losing a little bit of their mojo. Yeah, they might be. And do you want to know the score of the Leeds it's, game? What is it? It's 1-0. It's 1-0. Yeah. Um, Chelsea, apparently in free fall until they've hit the trampoline of Leeds. <laughs> Look like they might pull this one out. They, in the first half, I got to see the first half, and they had like four pretty good opportunities, and they all just like missed in the in the most... Like it should, they all should have gone in, and they all missed. That's their and mo. Was, still, that's their though. mo. I mean, midweek they had the FA Cup game against Fulham, and that was the same deal, wasn't it? No, not Leeds, Chelsea. Oh, Chelsea. Yeah, but well, definitely Leeds. <laughs> I'm sorry with, with that description. I just assumed you were yeah, talking about Leeds. Yeah, you would Leeds. assume, but Chelsea should have been way further ahead in the first half than they. Than they oh my gosh. Yeah, poor well, guys. Well, maybe they'll maybe they'll tie it. Maybe they'll pull out a point here. In they the 90th really minute, that's not how Leeds works. Well, you didn't watch at the end of last year. They did that a lot. Well, this but of course, they were thing. under the management of Jesse Marsh. Marsh. Eagle sound. <laughs> <laughs> um, anything else? I mean, that I did mention the FA Cup match this week against Fulham and Leeds. Uh, that was a situation where Leeds had lots of chances. Oh, so many not. chances. So many chances. And now Bamford's out. With an injury after that it game. could be a blessing, though. <laughs> he wasn't exactly lighting it up. No. And you know what else I realized this week? Patrick Bamford looks, looks a lot like Angela Lansbury. <laughs> <laughs> he does. Not, I, I do see that. Uh, I just think that you've been watching way too much murder. She wrote, <laughs> I, and I will, t- no I will call <laughs> Jeremy about that. Um, but I do think he looks like someone who time traveled from 1984 <laughs> and is like, oh, I'm a professional soccer player from the 80s. There's my voice Football. again. That's my, <laughs> this, is, this is your New York. That's my New York accent, accent everybody. Um, I saw. So that was disappointing. Um, Non-game related. Did you see that um, campaign this week? In England, where I think it was like the Wilderness Awareness Week. Yeah. Where they took all of. Uh, major major football team crests in England, and they removed any reference to wildlife or wilderness. Mm-hmm. I thought that just, was a very effective and very cool campaign. Yeah. It's just blank shields now. Blank shields, sometimes with a little soccer ball. Uh-huh. Um, even the forest one, the the, uh, the trees, the phallic gone. tree had been removed. <laughs> it's not that phallic. <laughs> I don't know. You're right. 
There's nothing. I don't know why I said that. I don't know why I said that. There's nothing phallic about the forest crest because it's gone now. But I thought that was a. Um, or is that more? Uh, I thought it was a really cool way to bring attention to the fact that how we need to protect, you know, the natural world through a way that would reach a large audience. And I thought it was also a fascinating comment on the design of just how many animals that we rely on. Mm. And I would suggest if we keep going down this, you know, environmental track that new rebrands should be all uh, robot related. We won't have this problem. Thoughts? (laughs) Nothing. Okay. Let's just have AI generated crests and it's all robots in all the crests. <laughs> I'm going to do a few AI generated crests and, and do a post this week. Okay, great. Okay. Chelsea robot AI. I will do generated a crest. Pulisic uh, robot Superman <laughs> Chelsea crest. <laughs> that is what I will do. So um, this week we have a special pod. Uh, we were talking, we are getting ready for our Peru episode. But with the uh, recent uh, Carabao Cup victory and increasingly strong form in the league, we thought we would talk to our uh, fellow friend, Adam Brooks. Adam Brooks is an artist here in Chicagoland, part of the artist group Industry of the Ordinary, and he is a lifelong and very intense Manchester United fan. So we thought we would talk to him about the club, about their recent form, and if he had any thoughts about the club's crest, any devil-related thoughts. So um, a word of warning, he is, was born on the East Coast, and um, if you have trouble with East Coast um, di- uh, <laughs> accents, it may be a bit much. Yeah, it's, it's pretty thick. It's pretty thick. It's a thick New York it's a, accent. It's a big, wide slice of New York pizza mm-hmm. coming your way. Okay. So here's our interview with Adam Brooks. Hi, listener. This is Justin here. Just a quick note. We did this interview with Adam before the 7-0 loss United suffered to Liverpool. Um, So we won't be mentioning that game. And I'm sure Adam will never be mentioning that game. Okay, now on to the interview. Good morning, Adam. How are you? Hi, Maria. How are you? Are you uh, are you both at the museum? No, we are at in my wife's studio in the garage. So we do this. Uh, um, so we actually started a project where in the next few years we'll be developing traveling exhibitions around the design and culture surrounding football. But in the meantime, just to kind of keep our creative juices flowing, we started um, a podcast where we talk about the d- design surrounding football and we don't worry we have zero listeners <laughs> <laughs> that's okay i would be happy to have 150,000 listeners <laughs> who would it be <laughs> because when it comes to football uh you know it's uh it's so deeply in my blood that uh um i'm always happy to talk about it anywhere with anyone at any time and you know it's also it's a great uh passport pretty much wherever you go in the world you can find someone to talk to about football and um and i'm not sure if there's anything else that is that universal 
It's true. That's often said that that is really an entry point to so many cultures and groups. For anyone listening who doesn't know, your background is actually in the arts and you're half of the artist group industry of the ordinary. Can you just give a brief description of what you do as an artist? Yeah. Um, sorry, I'm just uh, um, just pouring out my tea from the pot and I, giving it a quick stir here. Wait, Adam, um, are, you're drinking tea. Are you British? <laughs> <laughs> I, I actually uh, I, I'm not. Um, uh, as strange as it, it may sound, um, I was born in New York, but I went, uh, my parents moved um, me and my brother to London when I was 18 months old. So um, so to all intents and purposes, um, you know, I grew up English, um, which is um, where my love of football came from. Um, but but that and, and actually I've only started drinking tea since uh, the pandemic. <gasps> I, never I never drank tea um, uh, as a kid or even as a grown up. Uh, it was always coffee. But um, well, for I some think, reason, I think your your background really lends a lot of credibility to our podcast because no football podcast is complete without a native New Yorker accent yeah exactly <laughs> so it's that heavy new york accents giving us a lot of credibility i appreciate that so anyway carry on yeah. you're explaining industry of the ordinary um uh, ju just as one more quick aside about uh, being a native new yorker um, <laughs> uh, sad to say both boris johnson and donald trump were also both born in new york oh. although i was born in manhattan trump was born in queens um Boris was born in Manhattan too, um, and he had to get rid of his dual citizenship before he could become prime minister. And that was uh, um, the least of the reasons uh, why he should have been uh, disqualified. But yeah. anyway, so that's, that, uh, that that Trump in Queens really dispels a lot of rumors out there that you were part of a uh, kind of diabolical triplet group. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Yeah, and I know that... That's great. We're here to do a spell. I've heard that rumor, too. <laughs> yeah. Boris, Donald, um, and Adam. <laughs> okay, so so back to industry of the ordinary. So um, so we've been... Um, my working partner, uh, Matthew, Matt Wilson, um, and I have been working together since 2000 and... Well, really, since 2003, Um but we didn't really name ourselves until 2004. So uh, it's 19, 20 years, depending on how you look at it. And essentially, he he also, um, he is is really English. Uh, he was born in Reading um, and grew up there, but came over here to go to grad school. Um, and uh, um, so we started uh, working together almost 20 years ago and, um, uh, and essentially, what we do in a nutshell um, is uh, performative sculpture um, and, and everything that that broad definition encompasses. We're not uh, constrained at all by uh, media, but our ideas drive the way that the work ends up looking. And so we we do performance, we've done a lot of public art, uh, we use photography, we use sound. Um, on a few occasions, we've used painting and drawing when it seems to be appropriate. Uh, um, 
and um, so it's broad. But what we're really interested in is considering what the ordinary is, the everyday, the quotidian, um, and how we can actually re-endow that with some um, sense of meaning and uh, um, uh, and necessity and urgency because uh, it's been such a pejorative term for so long. Um, and so one of our informal mantras is I want to be ordinary because so many people would immediately say, why would you ever want to be ordinary? We'll put a link on the website to see anyone interested to see more of Adam's um, and Industry of the Ordinary's work. It's really phenomenal. Uh, they are a huge presence here in Chicago, and I would say nationally, and not only have shown extensively, but influenced a lot of other great artists in this country. So we will share that. Um, so, and Adam, I, that's... Let, let me also just say that, that football um, has been central to our activities. In fact, even before we started working together, um, we would sometimes run into each other at various bars around Chicago that back in the old days um, were the only places that you could see a lot of matches. And um, we actually both were um, in Sedgwick's in um, May of 1999 um, when um, Man United um, infamously uh, came back to beat Bayern Munich in the Champions League final in um, the last couple of minutes of added time. Um, and I didn't know Matt was there, but he always tells a story that uh, um, he saw me jump up on a table uh, screaming <laughs> my head off. Uh, <laughs> after, uh, um, after Solskjaer's uh, goal went in, um, and uh, um, yeah, I, I don't remember all that much about that day because uh, <laughs> <laughs> there, there were there were many pints consumed. But uh, um, uh, needless to say, um, the uh, you know that was one of the uh, um, the pinnacles of uh, um, of being a football fan and being a uh, Manchester United supporter. That brings up an interesting question. Obviously, you are a huge. United fan. How did that come about? Because you're not from Manchester, are you? I mean, no, you're, from, you're from, New from New York. We know you're from New York, but when you moved. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm from New York, um, but uh, but really, um, you know, I grew up in London, um, uh, in West London, and, um, and my closest team actually um, geographically uh, was QPR, and I did go and see QPR a lot because my best friend... Um, when um, I was in primary school, was a QPR supporter, and so um, so we would go and see them a lot. Um, uh, and my brother was a Spurs fan, so um, when I wasn't going to see QPR, I'd go and see Spurs. You know, and this was in the uh, the bad old days of the uh, early and mid seventies. Um, but the um, the reason that I became a Man United supporter um and some people listening will say uh glory hunter um which uh, <laughs> you know is, is, is the dig um but so i was eight and um and united got to the um european cup final um you know european cup as it was called back then not right, the champions right. league um 
because you actually literally had to have won the league um, the season before or have won the European Cup. So there were no uh, four places. Um, it was a much more exclusive club. But they had a great team um, back then um, in the mid to late 60s, um, you know, with the so-called uh, Holy Trinity of uh, Charlton Law and Best. Right. And, um, and Georgie Best was, um, you know, he was my hero because he was an amazing footballer, but also was one of the earliest uh, kind of celebrity Absolutely. footballers because he was, uh, you know, he was countercultural. He grew his hair long. He grew a beard. Um, he was uh, photographed out at nightclubs. Um, you know, he was part of the nascent uh, youth culture that was emerging, um, particularly in England, but obviously um, globally at that point in time. And so that attracted me as much as anything, given um, my uh, particular um, fondness for um, individuals and movements that kick against the establishment. And a lot of people, um, you know, would complain that his hair was too long. And so I grew my hair long <laughs> and, uh, and was uh, told. Did it have the same um, effect? Did you also entrance well, millions of fans and followers? <laughs> Did you also suddenly become really, really good at football? <laughs> uh, sadly, neither of those things happened, but I did get sent home from school a few times to uh, go and get a haircut um, or, you know, my tie wasn't done up properly. Uh, um, so, so it was really, it was really, you were drawn to the countercultural kind of um, a radical side of best. And maybe that's what drew you into United. That's really interesting to me. Yeah. Um, and, um, and so I don't think that, that it's unreasonable to say that that certainly had part of it. Um, okay. Part of the allure, obviously, they um, were a great team and played great football. But the um, you know there were lots of other great players back in the late sixties and early seventies um, playing in England. Uh, but it was obviously a very, very different game back then. It was not at all international. Um, there were no black players um, and uh, very, very few foreign players. And so it was pretty insular, but still was considered to be um, the home of football, which it still is, um, uh, but also to be one of the best leagues in the world. Yeah. Um, but, but also, uh, as I said, very insular and um, uh and very conservative in many ways. And so the, the whole, this whole idea of Georgie Best being um, someone who uh, was clearly um, in, um, if not opposition, then very different from yeah. the short back and sides haircut, uh, you know, the, uh, the traditional English. I mean, the fact that he was um, Irish too, and given the back in the 60s, there was still a lot of prejudice against the Irish in England. Um, and uh, so that that was also part of it, too. I think uh, that he felt that he needed to um, assert himself in multiple ways. You really wish that 
you know, he was so ahead of his time. It's kind of sad to see just how brutal the game was. And also no one was really protecting him. And, um, and it's interesting actually, um, because my father was a, uh, uh, was a photographer and he actually photographed Georgie Best for the London Sunday Times magazine um, for an article about how difficult it was for a footballer of his caliber to deal with um, the physical defenses that uh, um, were in place then, and uh, um, you know, and, and the lack. Were of, VAR uh, ruler? Were VAR rules just like a lot more lenient back then, or what was the deal? Yeah, yeah. So um, <laughs> it the you know the uh, I remember when yellow card came in. You know, it was either you were sent off or nothing. There was no sanction, mm -hmm. and you know. Teams like Leeds were great back then, but they also were physical as hell. You know, Norman Hunter, his nickname was Bite Your Legs. Yeah. And, uh, um, and they would kick seven kinds of shit out of uh, attacking, <laughs> attacking players just to uh, stop them getting ahead. I mean, you, you needed to be really... Um, durable to be able to to keep at it as particularly as a forward back in the 60s and 70s uh, um, because the the ref um, would not give you the kind of protection that uh, you know that forwards these days are given all the time and mm. uh, and you know with with VAR obviously uh, everything is vastly different uh, um you know i was just uh, before we started talking i was watching the first half of the uh, bournemouth arsenal yeah. match come on come on bournemouth um, <laughs> uh, um and uh, um you know the the the, the it, interminable stops to oh, check yeah, everything now mm -hmm. you know i think in the end i probably um um in favor of var but also it uh, there needs to be a different mechanism uh, for it to work yeah. uh more effectively and not uh, stop the game uh so frequently or yeah. just disallowing goals based on like the hair on someone's knee i think it's just really <laughs> yeah it's not going to draw a lot uh -huh. of fans yeah yeah um although Adam... i think uh, sorry uh, uh, i think in the end I do think that VAR balances out um, uh, and, you know, some, you know, a team that gets a decision against them will get one for them um, over the course of the season. So I don't think it's a bad thing. I just think that it needs to be refined. So, um, Maria. Uh, I was going to say, uh, yeah, the game has certainly changed a lot um, in the last decades. And we were just wondering how you feel about the current team and how they're doing and the resurgence and everything. Yeah, they've you, you were you were accused of maybe jumping on a bandwagon early, but the last decade uh -huh. has not been as smooth as it, as it maybe was. And, and I I would also to point out that after um, the 1968 European Cup victory, um, there was more than two decades of period. Um, United did against all odds win the FA Cup against Liverpool in 1976. Um, but apart from that, they didn't win 
the league for 26 years. Um, and so a lot of people forget that, you know, because a lot of people seem to think that football was invented um, when the Premier League right. um, was the formed. <laughs> and, uh, um, and, and that's clearly not the case. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's been frustrating at times. Um, the, a lot of it has to do with the owners um, and their um, uh, incredibly bad management. Um, although as an aside, I'll say, that uh, while the Glazers are blood-sucking, um, money-grabbing <laughs> parasites, um, true United they, fan. <laughs> um, you know they are not. Uh, um, you know they are not state sponsors of terrorism like That's the owners true. of uh, of Newcastle. Give them a chance, uh, though, Adam. Don't cut <laughs> them short. You, you're really uh, limiting their ambition. The Glazers. I wish they would fuck off, but. Um, uh, but but you know but this is the, here's the rub um if qatar buys united right. i am seriously um uncertain whether i can continue to support them i didn't watch any of the world cup because it's in qatar so you know that um even as a, a a fanatical united supporter there are limits um to what I'm prepared to put up with. But anyway, to go back to uh, um, Ten Hag, or, or actually his name in in Dutch is pronounced Ten Hoch, but, uh, um, but, but no, commentator, <laughs> no commentator is going to uh, sound like he's about to expectorate when, uh, <laughs> um, when he refers uh, by the correct I don't know. I, Dutch is a beautiful language. You're speaking to two uh, Dutch speakers. So. <laughs> yeah. So you know that that's the, the correct pronunciation. It is, the, it is the language of poetry. Mm -hmm. Well, <laughs> of really horrible poetry. No, there's some beautiful, yeah, beautiful Dutch true. poetry. It all sounds like it's being spoken underwater, but it's beautiful. Yeah. It's like yeah, you're, and, you you're know, choking while speaking German, is how I like to think about it. You know, if Johann Cruyff is speaking it, of course it's beautiful. Yes, absolutely. So, um, so it, it, it's been astonishing to me how one man can turn things around so completely. I mean, at the beginning of the season, obviously, with those two um, early consecutive defeats it was like oh shit here we go again yeah. uh, um you know more bollocks but uh, um but in this case clearly he needed time and uh you know he's he he has a plan he had a plan when he was at ajax and actually of all of the uh um the possible mooted um next managers after solskjaer was sacked uh, he was the one that to me seemed to be the most interesting, although I was disappointed that Spurs got Conti. Um, I felt that, like that was an opportunity missed. But in the end, you know, uh, um, the results uh, um, have proven um, that Ten Hag or Ten Hoch um, had, you know, he, he adheres to a version of total football, um, you know, that Rhinus Michaels um, instituted in the 70s and had Cruyff and co as the, uh, um, you know, the, the players on the pitch to carry it out. And, um, and more than anything, it's just been great to watch United get back to a version of 
the game that they've always been renowned for, which is exciting, flowing, attacking football. Um, you know, the, uh, the last few managers, um, just watching the ball go sideways and backwards all the time, you know, under, um, you know, uh, Van Gaal, even though he's Dutch too. I mean, it was, uh, and, and certainly even worse, army. <laughs> under Mourinho, I mean, you know, Mourinho was past his sell-by date as a manager by the time he got to United. Oh, but, um, you know, his, his defensive uh, um, positioning setup, uh, it just, it was so boring. And uh, so, regardless of what else happens i mean obviously it's been fantastic that united um got a trophy you know have, have already won a trophy in um ten hogs first is that qualify season. does that qualify as a trophy the carabao cup how's your what's your feeling on that <laughs> it only qualifies when united wins it or what's the deal <laughs> no you know it I call it the League Cup because it started in the 60s um, as uh, a, a secondary cup competition that gave potentially um, smaller teams the possibility of winning some silverware, which they did in Swindon Town, famously beat Arsenal um, back in the late 60s uh, um, in the final um, there was a forward called Don Rogers, who I think scored two um, goals in that final. And um, and you, you may have already ascertained Arsenal are not my favourite team. <laughs> um, uh, in fact, <laughs> well, uh, years and years ago, uh, um, when I was just starting as an artist, I, would, uh, I made some T-shirts as a, as a side gig. And uh, um, so, uh, um, so one of the T-shirts I, ma- I made was a uh, picture of an Arsenal player, um, you know, in the famous uh, um, red and white sleeves. Um, and it just said Arsenal are wankers underneath it. Uh, so, uh, uh, and, uh, and that certainly divides that they are wankers. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, and much as I respected Wenger, um, you know, and the, uh, the, the battles in, um, you know, in the late 90s, and early 2000s um, between Wenger and Ferguson and the players too, and, you know, the pizza throwing in the tunnel and all of that. I mean, it, it, it was great. You like a good uh, um, competitive spirit, but um, but I probably hate Arsenal more even than I hate Liverpool um, just because just because of the, uh, the enmity. And in particular, it was that one game... Um, where um, Van Nistelrooy missed a penalty and uh, Martin Keown came up and did his monkey man impression yeah. uh, um, to him uh, at the end of the match. Well, I I think that... Well, what I was going to say is as um, a, a U.S. supporter, I think over here, that kind of approach in your joy is equal in your victory as it is in other teams loss i think Mm -hmm. i think that reality doesn't exist for a lot as much for a lot of u.s fans especially new u.s fans um who follow the league in general so like with arsenal they may maybe they like it because matt turner is their backup goalie or they'll follow leads for a while because they have uh you know a midfield of all americans and a former 
um, coach. I think there was an American coach for a few minutes. Was, was he? Yeah, was I don't he? know. I think he was. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kind no, of, <laughs> we know all about Jesse Marsh. Um, at, and with that, a lot of the narratives that are here in the U.S. side on NBC broadcasts or other podcasts are very much following the league. And it's amazing how quickly the narrative of the league can shift. And with United this year, um, how that narrative picked up where it was last year, where this is a team suffering from a lot of the issues of contemporary football. You have out-of-touch, distant owners at, at war with a fan base. You have an overpriced, over-the-hill superstar who's poisoning the club. Um, and coaches that seem to not be able to be empowered or able to do anything about it. And, and fans of the team just kind of stuck in the middle. And that was the story that fit into the broader Premier League narrative going on. But like so many things in football, which is why partially I love it, is that things can change so quickly. Mm-hmm. And the narrative around, <clears throat> excuse me, the narrative around United now broadly, even outside of the fan base, is so positive because I think it is one of resurgence. I think the way they're playing, not just um, with more purpose and direction, but you could get a sense that there's a lot of buy-in from the players. And then other storylines. I think the Rashford story is probably Mm -hmm. one of the best stories of the league this year to see him not only come back to form, but to be in the best form of his life. And I would say the top English player at the moment by far. Yeah, yeah, no, I totally agree. And and because I was stuck in England throughout COVID, um, and so was there for 16 months um, from the beginning until um, one was able to travel again, I saw all of that because it was, you know, it was everything that Rashford did to stand up to the Tory government uh, um, who wanted to um, to slash school meals. Um, you know, the, the fact and and of course, you know, my friends who support uh, other teams um, were, um, you know, they were skeptical of this. And I do think that you know, Rashford did everything he did off the field because of his deep commitment, having grown up um, in a single mother, um, you know, uh, uh, family on welfare and seeing it all firsthand, that um, he, he, you know, he's a very committed and honest uh, individual. But I think that all of the pressure that was heaped on him and, you know, conservatives in England, uh, decried this and uh you know um how can a footballer um take positions like this uh you know much as conservatives in this country say well how can hollywood stars take a position um on on any but um but in the end um uh i think he hit the effect that it had on him as a footballer um has been shaken off because I think that that, for me at least, was largely um, what caused his uh, his dip in form and his lack of confidence. Also, that Solskjaer did not know how to manage. I mean, Solskjaer wanted to be mates with all the players uh, because it, because you know he was an ex United player and a, a a hero of the club, but. Um, 
but never should have been appointed uh, permanently. But, you know, so these things go. It's easy to look at that in hindsight. But what the team needed was um, a disciplinarian and someone who would not brook any, um, uh, you know, any resistance from the players. And you saw it when he he benched Rashford because he was late for a meeting. And uh, and then he came on and he scored. Yeah. And uh, so... um, you know, it, it could have all gone the other way. You know what um, I but, loved uh, about that incident too? And of course, goals wash away a lot of animosity. But after the game, even Rashford, instead of being, you know, prickly like a lot of top footballers might be, like saying, you know, I think I probably should have been in there. I could have gotten another one. He was like, yeah, I was late. Um, we worked it out. We're fine now. I really, I, I, that to me was really revealing. Like if it was... You know, Ronaldo would have stormed off mm-hmm. halfway through the game and like been over at Pierce Morgan's house. Like, <laughs> like, <laughs> would have would have stormed off? Oh no, sorry, I apologize. Yeah, yeah. he would have done yeah. that again. Yeah, yeah. Oh I mean, boy. I, 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 and just briefly, because I don't want to spend any time on uh, uh, on the past, but he was a great player for United, but it was the worst possible decision for management um, or the owners, uh, the board, to bring him back. It was a a clearly calculated move to sell more T-shirts in other parts of the world. Uh, And, um, and you know, even though there were some amazing moments, you know, when uh, um, he scored a hat-trick against Spurs, um, which was actually the day that I flew back, finally uh um uh after covid so i was at heathrow listening to it on the radio um but uh um but that aside i'm so glad to be shot of him and uh, mm-hmm. uh i'm i'm hope i hope he's happy t- uh you know to be collecting a massive paycheck out oh. in the desert but, he scored uh, like uh, three hat tricks in a row i think <laughs> in the last three games i think everyone just yeah, kind of well, stands still and passes and he, <laughs> he hangs out like a yard away from the goal line <laughs> <laughs> and just <laughs> yeah well you know that that may be the only thing that's porous out in the desert is the defenses. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, Maria, you had another question yeah so adam on this podcast, since Justin and I both love talking and discussing um, football badges and crests, that's one of the things that we've been doing every week is just diving into different clubs from around the world. And so we were really curious, as an artist, what is your opinion of the Manchester United badge? Well, so, you know, it's been changed. Um, they took the um they took the devil off it um uh a few years ago and there's been some um rumbling uh about bringing it back um i mean it's interesting because there's um because of manchester's uh, position as a trade hub in the 19th century um both city and united have a boat yeah um on on their crests and uh um uh, yeah, and not a lot of people necessarily notice that, but the fact we noticed that, well, yeah, because clearly, 
you you have an entirely different perspective on it. <laughs> we're like, uh-oh. So, no, we're, we're, I'm not saying pejoratively. I think it's actually really, really no, I interesting. Mean, but, I mean, uh-oh, they both have boats now. Yeah. <laughs> um, but but I miss having that Red Devil. Um, you know, just again, you know, it's, uh, um, it, it's the countercultural thing. You know, um, why would I not be drawn to a team that are called the devils um, because, uh, um, you know, as a, uh, a, a confirmed atheist, uh, um, you know, that, and, and why are there no team that are called, well, having said that, the saints, I, yeah, I, 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 I immediately like, uh, well, actually, actually. Um, yeah. So, um, well, I think, uh, so I, th- I would like to, I would like to see the uh, uh, the Red Devil back on the T-shirt on the the um, you know the the top. I, I did I did hear rumors that um, Tottenham was thinking about changing to the Jesuses. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, <laughs> they're just going to switch out the the <laughs> the fighting cock on top of the stadium just with a giant <laughs> giant crucifix. Yeah, I don't know. I have my sources. That, that Jesus sources. will not be able to walk on water because. Uh, um you know spurs famous since they won the double uh in 60 61 have not won the league so uh you know it's been a uh it's been a long wait and i i kind of um feel that pain because my brother is still a spurs supporter um, so uh um you know we we banter back and forth um so by the way i'm i'm on the guardians website and uh um, despite being tuned down, um, Arsenal have come back oh. um, to uh, wow, poor equalize. Big oh. shock um, there. <laughs> um, so, uh, but but even you know, if it remains that way, that's two big points potentially Absolutely. lost. Um, so, um, yeah. Well, um, Adam, uh, I think that's interesting point you bring up about the badge, and I do sometimes think that in these clubs search for more merchandise, the constant rebranding, they're at risk of losing uh, some history and a mm-hmm. connection with their, with their supporters. And I think it points to some of the issues you've pointed out. And as we've looked at a lot of different crests and badges, the ones we're always drawn to are the ones that retain a little bit of that wonky history where there's some visual tell of the very amateur origins of some of these clubs. Um, because it, it, it hints at the history and kind of um, stories behind these clubs, which is why I'm so drawn to football. And I think, again, speaking as an American fan, why so many of Americans love the game in Europe is because they feel like they can align with a team and immediately be connected to a history, the length and depth of which there isn't much of in this country. Mm-hmm. You know, So they feel like they're part of something broader. But we have to we have to go soon. But I just wonder before we go if you have any predictions um, for United for the season. Are you guys going to make it into a European competition or stay there? Yeah, I I mean if I can say anything with any assurance, it's that um, that a top four finish is about as nailed on as um, one can can imagine, uh, particularly since Newcastle lost earlier to city i mean i just i don't think 
I don't think that that really is in question, barring um, some kind of collapse that uh, would be um, as radical as the, uh, you know, the resurgence that has taken place. Um, uh, I think the league is um, is a step too far this season, but I think um, that uh, especially, you know, because I watched the second half uh, of the City Newcastle match. Um, you know, Arsenal are going to have to. Uh, um, really be on their toes not to be overtaken um so i've actually just put on on peacock on my laptop um and there's there's nine eight minutes to go and and obviously arsenal are pressing for the winner um but uh um but i think it it, you know it's exciting that there's a a proper title race and i think next year um united uh um barring um anything unforeseen will be right there in the mix um you know the 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 prospect potentially of a cup final between the two manchester clubs is uh um is mouth-watering uh (laughs) and then you know back in europe uh um uh it's certainly um you know the uh um the thursday night cup uh is a um is a possibility uh um, for um, for United to go further. Um, but I'm just, you know, I'm already more than completely satisfied with the season after, um, you know, after the League Cup win um, last weekend and also just the, you know, the level of play. I mean, yeah. the, the, you know, this new uh, defensive to midfield triangle of uh, Varane, Martinez and uh, Casemiro, it, I mean, it's transformed the club so completely. Um, I read a stat this morning that said when the three of them have been playing, United have not conceded um, a goal in open play. Well, there you have it. Adam Brooks guaranteeing a sixth place finish for Manchester United this season. <laughs> <laughs> Better like that. Hey, Adam, thank you so much for taking some time, especially on a. a a match day, not for United, but I know you follow a lot of a lot of teams. So, and good luck tomorrow. Um, Thank and you. We will speak with you soon. Excellent. That was great. <laughs> Clearly, a true fan. I think he could have just talked for hours. I think his point on their badge is really interesting mm-hmm. from a fan perspective too. I think losing the devil was a bad because it was such a funky. Mm-hmm. A funky, drawn devil, too. Yeah, and I think with these uh, older, the old elements, charges, as they say in heraldry, oh. <laughs> those charges <laughs> that yes. um, are... Well done, huzzah. <laughs> from their, like, like original crests, older, older um, designs that remain, they're so unique and... Um, as with the logification of everything that get washed away when you have something that's so funky, like just because it doesn't feel like a modern brand doesn't mean that it's not brandable. That's true. That's true. Well, um, next week we will finally get to Peru, our long away destination. We just had a special episode this week. So thanks for joining in. If you want to learn more about the footy museum, as we mentioned in our interview With Adam, we are developing traveling exhibitions. So maybe you are someone who programs a space and might want to plan something special as we lead up to the World Cup United States. You can go to thefootymuseum.com. 
Um, you can reach out to us there or see what we're up to. And if you like this podcast, please subscribe and share it. Please. Yeah. Please. Please. Okay. Please share it with your friends. <laughs> All right. Bye. Bye.